you know, I don't do sports, I do politics. When you want to have a diversity council, when you want to make sure that different groups in the city are representative, you want to have district elections. Well, that was a that was a tease. Yeah, that's yeah. the whole point. So you can call me back. No question okay. about it. But uh, yeah, I'm going to give you everything right now. <laughs> Hello, Boulder and the wider world. This is the Sharing Boulder podcast. My name is Philip Ogren, and for episode 19, I got on Zoom with longtime Boulder resident and just sustainability activist Tim Thomas to talk about a set of prioritized issues he would like to see Boulder City Council work on. This interview was recorded on Monday, December 27th, just three days before grass fires devastated homes in Boulder County. Our hearts go out to the families who lost property and are displaced from their homes because of this extraordinary disaster. Tim has put together 12 items that he would like to see given priority and energy in the new year by City Council. Each item is informed by a framework called Just Sustainability, which has been pioneered by professor and author Julian Aggieman, which seeks sustainable reforms that meaningfully address social justice, economic vitality, and environmental protection. In this interview, we work through his list of 12 issues. To review the list, please see the episode show notes at sharingboulder.us. Tim has been involved in Boulder politics since the late 90s and is a city council junkie of sorts who has probably gone to more city council meetings than anyone I have yet met. I admire him because he is not the sort of guy who blindly accepts progressive orthodoxy, but is willing to explore issues from different angles. Tim is a valuable community resource whose opinions derive from years of observation of how our city works, extensive reading, and in-depth study and analysis of policies, data, and maps. He is also a tenacious advocate for affordable housing in his neighborhood and throughout the city. I also admire Tim because he bikes around town all year round despite the fact that he owns a fleet of around 30 cars, including trucks, four-wheel drive Subarus, electric and hybrid vehicles, and small SUVs which are parked all over town for his convenience. That is to say, he too is a Colorado CarShare member. Please see carshare.org for details. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tim Thomas and that you will share this episode with your favorite city council people. Tim, thank you so much for being on Sharing Boulder. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, We had such a great conversation a few weeks ago and uh, I'm really excited to uh, get a chance to talk to you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Philip. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. Um, so our goal here today is to talk about um, council work plan. And uh, like like everyone, you've got uh, a bunch of ideas about what they should work on next. So uh, do you want to start by introducing yourself a bit sure. first? Sure. So my name is Tim Thomas. I'm originally from the East Coast, from New York City. I've lived here for uh, 29 years, so well over more than half my life. I started getting involved in local politics uh, right around 1999, and I've been following city council pretty much for about 10 years, took about five years off or so, and then uh, just recently got back into it, maybe a little longer I took off actually, but recently got back into it uh, in 
the fall of 2019, right around the time the city came out with its uh, racial equity plan. I was totally done with politics. I was totally happy doing being not involved. But when the city uh, came up with the racial equity plan, which it did after um, the, the racial reckoning, the summer of racial reckoning with uh, George Floyd and the protests, I just felt called that um, because of my background and my experience following politics that I needed to get back into it. If the city was going to make this kind of a commit to doing this, then I was going to hold them accountable as well as many other people. Well, welcome back. I'm so glad that you're, you've, you know, you're back in the ring. I am indeed. Cool. I am indeed. So uh, what were the, the first thing, so we had a, a new council that was elected in November. Uh, they had a couple of meetings, but one of the main things that they'll be doing to kick off the year will be a council retreat about the third week of uh, January or so. And that's where they set the work plan for the year. When you have major things on their agendas, including campaign promises that they made, it's not fair or, or plausible to just pop it up, up to uh, staff and say, I need you to work on this. So this is the time where council gets to hear from staff. Staff will tell them pretty much uh, uh, lay out the lay of the land of what's going on on major priorities. They usually have a key issues, a set of key issues. And uh, what I've done, as well as many other groups, I, um, Sierra Club's probably going to do it, the business community. Um, I, I come from a, a point of view of uh, what's called just sustainability, which is how we can start this conversation. So in this town, or in many towns, you have a business community, a siloed separate environmental community with some crossover, a social justice community. But what I found in the past is that these, these uh, interest groups tend to be um, siloed. This past election was one of the first times that I can see in, in my decades of watching uh, city council where the social justice community, the business community and the environmental community came together with a slate of, of uh, candidates. And those candidates got elected, there was one Plan Boulder new candidate, as well as one who was uh, uh, seeking re-election. But uh, uh, the progressive community, the progressive slate, has a five to four vote right now. Six to three, depending on, you know, depending on the numbers, six to three, five to four. So I and others are coming together with a, a progressive agenda. Um, some of it is, is uh, well, we can go down the list. Yeah, but let's start with uh, just sustainability. So, uh, Professor Julian Agiman, A G E Y M A N, uh, professor of planning at Tufts University, has published on a concept called just sustainabilities. So, you start with the three legged stool of sustainability so, social justice, environmental protection, and economic vitality, the same group of people who uh, got together to, to elect this progressive state uh, slate. You add to that geographic equity and procedural equity. Geographic equity shows you the effects. For example, if you're talking about uh, climate change in, the, in uh, the context of Boulder, 
one of the things I would look at is the 60,000 cars that come in on a daily basis, you know, during a regular school year, 60,000 in, 60,000 out. Geographic equity. Why are those people living so far away? The answer is obvious. Boulder is a very expensive place to live. Why is that? Because we're not addressing procedural equity. There is, we're not talking about changing the laws of physics. If this was 200 years ago, some people would set up some tents on what we call open space, what I call the vacant land program. And we, uh, <laughs> and what Love we it. do is we, we say you can't live there. People just pitched tents before, you know, the law says that people can't live on this land that is close to where they work. That is uh, uh, contrary to popular belief was not really virgin land. Our open space is based on purchasing uh, farms and ranches. And then we knock the buildings down and we keep them vacant. So that's just one context. Um, just sustainability is a framework, this five-lensed or five-legged tool that can be used in virtually everything that the city does. And it should be used in everything that the city does. Julian Aguiman is actually consulting for the city of Boston right now with their new mayor on how to bring just sustainability into everything they do. Awesome. So uh, this is this is kind of a new framework for me. I I, I just want to review this. So there's the there's the business environment social justice aspect, the geographic and procedural equity. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, all these work together tightly to have solutions that make sense and maybe just give a a quick overview of what you mean by sustainability here because that's sort of the the name okay. of this. All right. So it started with environmentalism. Okay. So let's even go farther back. It started with just pure economics. You could enslave people, you could grab whatever materials you wanted. That was the law. On top of that, which you had people who said, from a social justice point of view, it's not good to enslave people, it's not moral. That started to balance things out. So you have a two-legged stool. 60s, 50s, depending on where you're coming from, people started to recognize that corporations and others are polluting the, the, the earth. The third yep. leg comes in. Around the time of the uh, late 60s, when you had civil rights, that's when we started to see geographic equity, not start, but it became uh, quite evidence of how that started to play in as far as A, City of Boulder's open space program, B, how highways divide cities, you know, just go through Chicago and you can see that. Um, where housing is located, where it's not allowed to be located, where people can live, where they can't live, where do you put locally unwanted uh, uh, land uses, where do you put major industrial sites? I noticed Boulder does not have an, a refinery. Boulder doesn't even have a garbage dump. Boulder County has had the nearest garbage dump is right outside of Boulder's county limits when you head down to uh, Golden. So we don't keep our garbage here. We, we generate plenty. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking. And then you ask why these things happen. Procedural equity. George Floyd, without going too much into it, somebody was given the permission based on a set of circumstances that it seemed like it was a good idea to be strangled on his neck. There was a procedural equity issue. Someone else had done it, it would have been murder. So number two on the priority list is Boulder Housing Partners. Boulder Housing Partners is the housing agency of the uh, 
of the city of Boulder. They operate as a nonprofit and uh, with very little accountability by the city, city council, um, very little transparency. Uh, they control uh, well over a thousand housing units as well as well over a thousand um, Section 8 vouchers, housing choice vouchers. So with the exception of the, of, uh, the University of Colorado, they are the largest landlord in, in Boulder. Yeah. So I'd like us to really get in there and see what they're doing, what we can do better. Um, recently, Longmont has taken over their housing authority. Um, there was a, a search of some apartments in Longmont. I think there was, it was drug related. People thought that their civil rights were being um, violated. I believe that's what started the conversation. And then Longmont eventually just took it over um, just recently. I'd like to see us do something like that though. Do you want to, do you want to talk about uh, sort of where the rubber hits the road for you with respect to Boulder housing partners and the, the uh, properties in South Boulder? Sure. So Tantra Lake. Tantra Lake is uh, most housing development in this country is uh, assisted in their finance with a, a federal income tax credit. It's called the Low Income Housing Tax Credit. In order to utilize this, um, the city or the a nonprofit has to find a private partner because as a nonprofit or a city, you can't take a tax credit. You're either in surplus or, or deficit. So you need a private partner in order to do that. Um, for Tantra, there's going to be $27 million in federal tax credits. The city of Boulder, through Boulder Housing Partners, and I, I got to admit, I'm still hashing out how, the, how it works as far as the ownership and the money goes. Somewhere around 2015, 2016, Tantra was purchased for $47 million dollars. Somewhere in mid-March to late April, Tantra will go through a low-income housing tax credit conversion. So what's going to happen is um, everybody who lives there by federal law, because federal feds don't want people to, to be displaced, gets to stay guaranteed for 15 or 30 years, depending on uh, the mechanism that's used as far as the, the formula on the percentage of housings that will be affordable and the, uh, the average median income cutoff level. So long story short, 185 units of affordable housing are gonna be going onto the market. And I wasn't real happy with the way that notice was given to the people who are currently living there. There's some market rate and affordable rate people. I've been going back and forth with the city and, and Boulder Housing Partners on how to characterize it. I looked it up in the, in the dictionary and the word evict means that you're moving somebody out or you're taking somebody's property back. They're using a Black's Law de uh, definition, which I'm not. I'm, I'm not a lawyer. So I use Webster's Dictionary. So to me, it felt like people were. Um, what's going to have to happen is everybody, since they're going to be moving to 100 percent affordable housing, everybody will need to be qualified for affordable housing under federal there's probably some state and some city rules, which is one of the, the murky things. I'm trying to figure out whose rules are whose. Okay. Yeah. Um, and everyone has to be qualified, but uh, I saw a letter where they're asking people to disqualify themselves. As a matter of fact, I can pull up a quote. 
Yeah, one of one of the things that kind of comes into my mind when you when you're talking about this is that you know we we don't just want Boulder to be diverse in some aggregate you know uh, quantification of it. We actually want diverse neighborhoods, right? And so if you uh, if you say everyone's going to be per neighborhood or per development going to be segregated by their economic status. Uh, I, I mean, it's sort of it's sort of contrary, I think, to some of our ideals. And 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 that's one of the problems. It's moving to 100% affordable housing. What you really want is you want, like you said, mixed housing. The feds don't necessarily want yeah. all concentrated poverty. Um, as a matter of fact, that's why they don't require that you have 100% affordable housing. That was a choice the city of Boulder is making. Long story short. Boulder Housing Partners asked people to disqualify themselves. And they, I will paraphrase here, they said that if you do not think, and that's pretty close to the quote, if you do not think that you will qualify, then you must leave by the end of the month. Oof. And when asked, someone asked uh, Boulder Housing Partners, when is the qualification process going to start? It's not going to start till January. The main reason being is that you cannot start the qualification process you can't, you can't have it start more than 120 days from the time of the conversion. So I just didn't understand why people weren't allowed to stay. Boulder Housing Partners did alert people months ago that there was going to be a conversion. It did alert people that they, some people would not qualify and they would not be able to stay. But I also know that the qualification process is complex, involving dozens of pages of paperwork. There may be exceptions. People might have misconceptions on what is considered income and what is not considered income, whether they're considered a full-time student or not. Yep. And it's something that, that in my humble opinion, the experts should help them navigate this process. People should not be asked to disqualify themselves, which is exactly what they did. Yeah, especially so like what it comes down to. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll say one more thing. When we talk about these issues of structural or institutional racism and discrimination, it's a series of steps, a series of processes. And in this case, it's actually quite a diverse building, at least the one that I lived at. Well, that's how I, I got to know about it. My building was being renovated. So I lived there for three months and I got to know people. The building I lived in had one, two, three, four, five black people in the apartments out of 12, 24. There were white people. There were Asian people there. Um, we were all working class people. We got along well. And people were con concerned and scared that they had to leave. And no one was really giving them a straight answer. That's where the rubber hit the road for me. Yeah. Yeah. When you tell somebody that they have one month to sort of sort this out without proper guidance, that's, that's pretty gross. I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit more fair and say that they were alerted months ago that this process was starting, but it could have been handled better. That could have been handled more proactively. It, to me, it seems like if people were motivated to getting to a, a yes as opposed to, well, these are just the rules and being neutral about it, a lot more people could have stayed. Yeah, yeah. I don't know much about Boulder Housing Partners. And so uh, 
uh, I kind of have rough understandings of what they're about, what they do. do. Do you feel like this particular case is sort of like symptomatic of what what goes on in a, a lot of their other projects, or is it just sort of a I would say it's symptomatic of what goes on in a lot of public housing agencies. Again, yep. I'm going to try to be as fair as possible. Some people do it better. Some people do it worse. But the amount of public, and, and a lot of it has to do with federal law. Yeah. Because yeah. of the paperwork that you have to fill out. But what it takes to get into uh, city housing as opposed, you know, and I'm not talking about market rate. There's, so there's, there's several different things going on. There is city, the Boulder Housing Partners has market rate housing, which this Tanfer was, but it won't have any anymore. It has what is called an affordable housing program where if, I'm, if I recall correctly, Boulder Housing Partners can set the rate. It's not bound by any federal thing. Um, maybe with the exception of uh, they might want to stay, uh, keep their rent low enough to be able to take Section 8 housing. And then the last uh, housing is public housing that was uh, converted to housing choice uh, voucher housing. There was some project-based housing that was also converted and these low-income housing tax credit conversions, all of these come with federal regulations on the maximum amount of rent that you can charge. Yep. That's how you get the tax credits. So what Boulder Housing Partners is, it is the arm's length nonprofit, uh, is the official housing agency of Denver. In Denver, the Denver Housing Agency is the official housing agency of Denver. I am not exactly clear if it's got the same kind of nonprofit status. I know in Longmont they do, but Longmont, as opposed to when they wanted to do reforms, as opposed to just stripping the whole thing down, they appointed themselves the board of the Longmont Housing Authority. Same way the city of Boulder is, uh, the council is in charge of the, uh, like a, a downtown uh, parking district sure. or uh, some kind of uh, business improvement development district or something like that. They just made sure. themselves the board. So there's a lot of reforms. I was talking more about it, let, but uh, let's go ahead and finish up. We'll, yeah. go, we'll keep on going down through the list. Yeah, for racial, sure. The racial equity plan. Um, this is number three. This is our, number three. Our... So number, number three is the racial equity plan. The racial equity plan, again, is how do we transform the processes and the outcomes that city departments uh uh, set their goals for their missions, their trainings, or things like that. Um, one of the most obvious things would be to to move straight into policing, which is not my forte, really. Um, I would say, how do we use the racial equity plan in planning? How do we use the equal, uh, racial equity plan when we decide to make a purchase on for uh, for the open space program? For example, in Massachusetts, state law says that if you have some type of government property, I don't, I'm not sure if it's at the state level or at the city level, it's called the anti-snob law. You must balance open space with affordable housing. You have to figure out which one, there has, some, there has to be some kind of calculus, some kind of discussion on what you should do. It's not just an open thing. Anybody who goes to Eben G. Fine Park, as you're riding your bike in there, you'll see an empty meadow. And it looks like it was natural and all there. No, it used to be single room occupancy uh, apartments there because I know someone who lived there. They knocked it down and turned it into open space. So for me, the racial equity plan is in everything we do, including number four, zero-based budgeting. 
Okay, this, so, is a, this is a new one for me. Yeah, so budgeting, um, I had a conversation with a city of Boulder official when they were about to uh, quit. And they ran down some stuff for me and we started talking things. But one thing he, this person said was, Tim, if you're going to be active, you need to be uh, pursuing zero-based budgeting. So zero-based budgeting is this. When a new budget comes out, if I was a department head, I would look at how much money I got last year, how much money I spent last year. Hopefully I spent every dime of what I got last year. And then I'll say, you know what, can I have 5% more? Zero-based budgeting starts with, okay, you now have zero and you get to build your department from the bottom up. There are ways to do this. You can, you know, every department has, you know, a handbook on how to be a police chief a handbook on how to run a parks and recs department. And they will have standards, you know, Netherlands has nowhere near the resources. What do they have? Two cops in a car, <laughs> maybe a station. So that would be like a, the lowest level. And then you just base it on the population, add some topography, and you figure out some formula of what you need. You know, you need to X many number of police officers for your population per this many square miles in order to have this uh, high of a level of blood. So there are standards. People do this. Um, people might say something to the effect of, well, some of the money can only be used for some of the things. You're right. So, yeah, zero-based budgeting. So there's two things. There's the budgeting and um, what the expenditures actually are. Uh, Many years ago, when I first got involved in politics, I was at a, a meeting and I saw that uh, one of the city staffers had a spreadsheet of all the uh, employee salaries. I said, hey, can I get a copy of that, please? So I get a copy of that. And then I said, uh, hey, while you're at it, can you build me a spreadsheet of everything that the city of Boulder spent money on for the month? They sent me a spreadsheet of everything down to the purchase cards that they used to go to alfalfas to go get uh, coffee and muffins for uh, meetings, which is one of the things that I pointed out. $300,000 on food. Can't get together without somebody going to eat. You know what? Bring a lunch. <laughs> yeah. So really getting into the budget and what is being spent. Um, on the other hand, I, I had a, a friend of mine once who was the CFO of a major nonprofit in town. And I asked him, I said, how did you, how, how um, granular did you ever get in examining expenses? And he said, uh, my and my deputy uh, got to the point where we would sign every check over, I think, $5,000. And they just said, you know, it just got to the point where we couldn't get anything done. Yep. You know, it was just too much. But um, when you're spending the people's money, and it's not just the city, it's, it's property taxes, it's stuff that comes from the state, stuff that comes from the feds, we should be better stewards of our money, not to mention the fact that we're pretty, we're pretty flush on this deal with Boulder Housing Partners. Let's take that for an example. $47 million was put up. Somebody's going to purchase that. Okay, in order to uh, achieve the low income housing tax credits, $27 million of that is going to be covered in, in, uh, in, in tax credits. So they'll clear $33 million. You know, you take away the $20 million they spent, it's a lot of money. So they got the $27 million plus they got whatever profit they're going to make. What's going to happen with that money? What account is that going to sit in? Is the city going to get any of it back? 
What will that be used for? And then we're going to follow on with that with um, CU South and the Alpine Balsam. You know, when they bought Alpine Balsam, that money came out of nowhere. Tens of millions of dollars. We'll buy it. Where'd that money come from? What account did that sit in? Why wasn't that used for something else? Yeah. You know? Interesting. So, so, uh, so can I... I all of that makes sense to me uh, about accountability and about uh, being, you know, like um, at least having the data, you know, look, being able to look at it, but I'm still hung up on this, on the name zero based. And can you, can you sort because of you like start from zero? You don't, you, your budget starts from zero and you say, okay, I need this many personnel. I need this many cars. This is how much money I need. I need this much money for gas. You build your budget from zero. Okay. Yeah. That's why it says zero base. You start with nothing. Uh, so, so the emphasis here is on uh, is that um, everything's everything, account everything's accounted for. Everything is justified. I see. Everything is justified. Okay. okay. So that kind of gets into why why the the person that recommended zero based uh, budgeting was was telling you, you know, hey, you should really care about this um, because there's a lot of waste. Yeah, I see. Yeah, there's a lot of waste. There's probably a lot of crossover. You know, the, the, the police department is the only department that has its own lawyer. They should really be going through the, the city attorney's office. I have found out that this is a nationwide practice. But really, you should have some civilian uh, control over the military. They should be acting in the city attorney's office. If you ask somebody a question to the city police chief, what is he going to do? Let me get, talk to my lawyer. I'll get back to you. And, and by the way, also with the budget. Like Joe Biden says, you want to see some of these priorities? Show me your budget. Yeah. Yeah. If you care about it, then put some money into it. I remember Nicole Spears said the same thing. She says, you know, when she was thinking about getting into this, like the first thing she went to was uh, looking at the budget and understanding it's, it's how you, it's how you measure someone's priorities. It is how you measure someone's priorities. Um, okay. Moving on. Great. And I'll be talking about these more and I'll be writing about these more in local outlets. Moving down the list, town and gown. Um, I'm not going to go too much into this, but just recognizing the obvious fact that this university is the economic, social, everything engine to this town. The airport moved before this university moved. You see what I'm saying? This university was not going anywhere. We actually moved our airport, but the university will stay here and it will be here for decades, if not 100 years. So we need to have a good relationship between town and gown. We need to be sensitive to their issues, like CU South was, is an obvious uh, uh, tension between uh, the university. And they need to also step up to ours. They have wonderful experts up there that I'll be calling on uh, in my future endeavors. Um, many of the experts tend to study things locally, especially social scientists. So there is no reason why the university, the CU, and I'm sorry, that the city doesn't take more advantage of that. If they have a question, they should go to the experts. For example, the first thing I would say when it comes to economic outlook, the person who gives the entire economic outlook for the entire state, Rich Wobbekind, lives in town and teaches up there. Why aren't they talking to him on a quarterly basis? Rich, what's going on? What's our economic outlook? I know the chamber does. Yeah, yeah. I've been to one of those uh, those chamber economic forecast uh, things. And he's funny as heck. Rich is yeah. hilarious. Oh, good. Sit down at the table with Rich. He is funny. Plus, he's brilliant. All right. So, town and gown. 
Uh, moving on, regional cooperation. Uh, getting back to the, the very beginning, just sustainability. So my unit of analysis is where do people get up to drive to to go to work every day? You could also look at it as, you know, where's the airport? You know, we have one airport. So for me, my, my, my unit of analysis is the 56 or so governments that make up uh, the Denver Regional Council of Governments. So anywhere from Netherlands to whatever's just east of Denver. Um, and then once you get up into Fort Collins, they're considered their own statistical areas. Uh, Colorado Springs considered its own statistical area. Yep. But, and we have people who drive up at that. But typically, where do people drive to in, over the course of a day? Where are they living? What kind of environmental issues are we dealing with? Uh, you may have heard many people say that we can't build ourselves out of congestion um, as far as widening I-70. Many people think that the answer is light rail, and we're talking specifically about environmental issues and transportation equity, which isn't really cost effective if you count down the number of people that will ride on it every day versus how much the investment is, you know, it'd be better to put buses on. So it's things like that. So regional cooperation, not to mention the fact that at least within Boulder, Longmont, Louisville, Lafayette, Superior, they take on costs that we don't have to bear because people can't afford to live here. There are road costs that they have to deal with. There are environmental costs they have to deal with. There's a pressure for them to grow because we won't. So we should be working better with them and, and in more cooperation. And not yeah. to mention Denver and other areas. There's a strain of environmentalism that says, no, no more growth here, no more growth anywhere. And, and it's like, well, I mean, there's lots of good reasons for a population to, to, to urbanize, for example, you know, and, and when we don't allow for growth in Boulder, you know, Erie, Erie keeps popping up more suburban sprawl. You know? But when people say that we don't want to deal with population, like um, I forget what the professor's name was, the physics professor who gave the, the, the overpopulation um, speech over yeah. and over again, $10,000, yeah. 10,000 times. Al Bartlett. So Al Bartlett gave this speech. Who's going to stop growing? Are you going to tell people in China? Are you going to tell who? You first. Mm -hmm. Who's going to stop growing? Are you going to tell your family to stop growing? Or are you going to ask my family to stop growing? Are you going to ask somebody somewhere else who needs to have a, a minimum amount of people in order to go out to pick, gra to pick grains or whatever farming they need to do or whatever kind of sustenance living they need to have? Yeah. yeah. So unless we're really going to talk about dealing on an international level because population that's a that is a, a a national level debate so go dive in but unless somebody wants to talk about that then we have to deal with what's going on on the ground and be right. honest about it so regional cooperation Love um it. uh civic engagement i tend to send a lot of emails especially recently since i've been back i've sent dozens i've been known to send a dozen in a week or two. Nice. Nice. Because I'm trying to get my point across. And, and the Constitution allows me to do that. I don't talk about anybody's mama. I don't go <laughs> and protesting in front of someone's house, which I could by, by my constitutional right. I could go up and down the street with bill billboards in front of someone's house. I choose not to do that because I don't want anyone to do it to me. I want to treat people with re respect. But sending emails, there's a we're going to be changing the way that that council gets emails in January. There's going to be a form as opposed to a um, 
just a, as opposed a, a to just list. sending things on emails. And this is on top of the fact that we can't be in, in public anymore. I mean, we, we don't meet in, in person anymore. And I would say generally when I've been following at one point, I, for about a year, I was the first person to speak at city council. I would show up at like two o'clock in the afternoon or one o'clock in the afternoon. And just wait. Cause it was first come first serve babies. So I got there. there. I just get a book and read. I would notice things like before council, you know, we, we, this, uh, all municipalities are, are in the state of Colorado are subject to open meetings laws. They have to be noticed. You have to allow the public to, to attend. They don't have to, they, they don't have to be allowed to speak, but they can show up. Since we've been going virtual, we've been cutting back on things, for example, and, and I'm sorry, let me take a step back. When we were meeting in person, we had a person on uh, council named Tom Eldridge. And before council meetings, Council would go into a lunchroom behind council uh, chambers and close the door and eat lunch. I say, hey, Tom, isn't that a meeting? You know, you're closing the door, you get in there. He's like, Tim, you're right. So he opened the door and I would go in there and just hang out. They're talking. <laughs> nice. Wouldn't bother anybody. They're eating. After a while, they would feel guilty when they go down to council. Staff would come in to get food. I would eat. They're like, okay, Tim, you can have something to eat. And I would go to all kinds of meetings like that. I've been to Flagstaff House. On, on uh, they used to have a, a, uh, a luncheon there on the day that council was uh, sworn in. So I said, okay, cool, how much? $55, go up there, have some squash and stuff. It was great. But my point is, it was open. You know, sunshine is the best disinfectant. Yep. And yep. I don't see what the big secret is. I don't like uh, executive sessions. And, and council has made some mistakes in the past. There was a guy named Seth Brigham. I don't remember if you remember his name. Seth used to come and speak at council. Let's just say Seth was a little quirky, but he was basically a guy who wanted to uh, petition government, which is his constitutional right. And I don't remember what he did. People can look it up. But somehow council tried to tell him that he couldn't come to council meetings anymore. He sued them. And he got a moped. I remember when he got the money and he was riding around on his moped. So, you know, right now, council has a, a little blurb when you go to speak to them. And it says that please make sure. And this is during open comment when you're supposed to be able to talk about anything you want. Please make sure that your comments are related to city business. Kind of like stepping on the Constitution a little bit. If they want to talk about Mars and the invasion of the aliens, that's their constitutional right. Well, if Boulder's the only city prepared for it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, that's. By the way, in council engagement, you just reminded me of something else. We should laugh. Don't make it personal. Yeah. And, you know, I don't do sports. I do politics. Nice. So, um, so yeah, just keep it cordial. And, and, and um, I've uh, sent out an invitation to all council members so I can meet with them personally just so they can get to know each other. Um, I've met five of them. Or, I'm sorry. I've met four. Three person, three in person, one virtually. I have another meeting with one that I've already set up, and I'm hoping to see the other four before the, the year gets started. Um, number eight, greatly increase city council pay and support staff. This is not a volunteer. I had a council member in a public email uh, say to me that this is uh, a volunteer position. It is not. It is a job that doesn't pay much money. This is a full-time job. Anybody who's doing the job well, is spending 40 hours a week on it. You have to read all your briefs. You actually have to attend meetings. 
You have to read my emails, which takes a lot of time and other emails. I just read the other day, they get 15,000 emails a year. I didn't think it was that much. You know, I'm, I'm good for a few dozen, but not that many. Um, and God forbid you want to actually ask staffers and understand how the city works, how other cities work, how these standards work. Like there's a government GAR, which is a government association of racial equity. I probably got the, the acronym wrong, but there are groups out there who are setting standards and showing you best and worst practices. So you should have time to, to understand that. For example, in my research, one of the best housing agencies in the country is Boston. So I'm going to be spending my time looking at Boston, and then I'm going to look at the ones that are closest to us. So I'm going to look at Longmont, and I'm going to look at Denver, and I'm going to look at Boulder, and I'm going to look at standards, and I'm going to look at academics. That takes time. And if they don't have the time, somebody like me is going to give it to them, and maybe I don't have the best of interest. So let's give them the opportunity to be able to study something on their own. And they should have support staff. So what I'm looking at for is council immediately what I want them to do is put into budget for them to have at least one, but really two support staff, full-time pay, you work for me. I'm council yep. member X, you work for me. Then can we, can, we, can we get specific? How much would you pay city council and the and the support? Well, staff? that's the other part. So staffers, I don't have a problem forty thousand dollars each, yep. um, full benefits, and then city council, I don't have a problem with a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, last I checked, um, they're, they're professionals. At, they're at definitely the, professionals. Yeah. And then if somebody chooses to work in whatever the profession, like uh, Councilmember Spear is running a lab, if she wants, you know, she wants to run her lab and work, she should get paid for both. Yeah. I work more than one job. I expect to be paid for both. So I know I, there's no, this is not a volunteer job. Not to mention the fact that maybe people, God forbid, working class people will take the job. People have asked me in the past why I'm not running for city council. You know why? Because it doesn't get, I don't get paid. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, it, not, I'm not going to do the job unless I get paid. Five people ask me, so you run for city council. I'm like, you pay well, me. And I, I think it's telling that, you know, uh, it hasn't paid well ever. And, and, uh, no, not here. Other places it does. I meant, I meant here in Boulder and that, yeah. you know, a couple of decades ago, uh, it was standard operating procedure that, hey, well, I'll go out to uh, the Flagstaff house for lunch on, you know, so, so you kind of have a sense of who's getting elected, you know, and when, when that's the tradition. It was nice. It was, nice. And the soup <laughs> was awesome. It was the only time I ever had dinner at the Flagstaff house. So there we go. Um, on to money. Stimulus money. Where is it? Did we get any? What's happened in the past couple of years as far as stimulus money? I haven't had heard, you know, and and I, I may miss things and stuff, but that's my point. We need to follow these things. Where's the stimulus money? What's it being spent on? Do we have state money coming? Do we have, uh, is the county holding money for us? Where's the stimulus money? Because I, out of $1.7 trillion, I got to believe some is going to flow down to the city. And what are we going to do? Because that's added money that we wouldn't necessarily have in our budget. Yeah. So you know, start up, start with an executive summary is what you're saying. Sure. And then and then because stimulus money, it's so much money that new initiatives, God forbid, we could do more housing. Yeah. OK. Um, and then long, longer term, we're almost at the end. Uh, district elections. Uh, this is something that I was bamboozled on. I just didn't know. Uh, back in the day when I first got involved in, in local politics. And again, I'm talking about institutions, not people. I got involved with Plan Boulder. At the time, this was late 90s, early 2000s. 
The business community wanted to do two things and they brought ballot petitions for both. One was the direct election of the mayor, which we now have. The other one was for district elections. Plan Boulder was against it. Plan Boulder was the liberal group. And again, right now I call them an environmental only group, a siloed environmental group, as opposed to this three-legged stool of sustainability. Yeah. Based on the Brentland Commission, when they looked at how do we take care of the issues of the environment. So when they were against district elections, I said, well, that must mean I'm a black guy, liberals, I must be with liberals, so I must be against district elections also. No. When you want to have a diversity council, when you want to make sure that different groups in the city are representative, you want to have district elections. And it goes back to this geographic equity thing. Somebody asked me, he said, well, how long would it take to do district elections? Give me a map in five minutes. And the main reason is I was a cab driver in this town in my former life for 17 years. I've been to basically every street in this town unless it's a new one. Okay. And I know where to cut the, the districts. I would make one east of 30th Street and north of Valma. So you got sure. all those large trailer parks there. And including I would annex um, the trailer park that's just outside of town. You could have at least two student districts. You know, you could have, because what happens is that houses tend to be next to, you know, people of same economic or, 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 or wealth attributes tend to live next to each other. So Good. districts can be done. The argument against it has been that um, while you would have just a few people or just only a few thousand people voting for districts, Longmont does it. And again, what I do is I look at places in the, 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 the art of geography says that you should look at places that are close to each other because they're similar in many ways. For example, we're all under the same state laws. We all operate under the same county rules. Uh, well, chances are that we'll work in similar neighborhoods, even though I'm sure more people from Longmont come into Boulder than Boulder goes into Longmont. I don't know the numbers, but it would seem to be. Yep. So um, district elections. Yeah, and I think I think that, um, you know, it, 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 to connect the dots, you know, this coupled with the increased salary for city council and support staff. Uh, those two would really work together well. Because, I mean, right, if you're going to have a district that includes uh, 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 the, a bunch of trailer parks in Northeast Boulder, mm -hmm. um, and then and then to keep it like a nearly a, a low-paying full-time job, right? That's a, that's a very difficult sell for someone mm -hmm. who's tr trying to keep their personal finances going. You know, you can't not, just... Not only that, what will happen is there are some affluent houses there. Oh, sure. The candidate there will have to go talk to the people in the trailer park. Yeah. The people in the trailer park will have to go talk to the people over there because you need yeah. everybody in the community. That's oh right. Oh, my God. I get to know the people in my community and I'll be accountable to the people in my community. Nice. I love it. Okay. Um, rounding out. Almost there. Council operations, efficiency and effectiveness. I put this one at the bottom because I don't quite have the answers for this yet. Again, there are people like the Municipal League. Um, there's a state organization. I think there's a Colorado Municipal League also, the League of Cities. You can look internationally, but then it's got to get hard because, you know, you're dealing with national laws and things like that. But the, there's a, always this question of, of boards in general. How, how far do you get into the weeds? 
how far do you get into, you don't want to micromanage, okay? And the city of Boulder has a lot of departments, you know, I feel for the city manager. And uh, especially if you don't have support staff, you're not getting paid. So you're asking the city manager for advice to do stuff. You got competing people going back and forth. That's why the support staff will help because that'll take a lot off their plate. Let them fight among themselves. Let them talk amongst themselves and try to get votes from each other. I'm fine with that. Yeah. As long as things yeah. are open and transparent, I'm fine with that. Absolutely. But, but council operations, efficiency and effect, and then effectiveness goes the way that the budget works right now, to me, it, it, again, it looks like a piece of, you know, uh, a budget's plopped in front of them. They say, well, you can, you can vote yes or no, but if not, then everything gets shut down. So you better vote yes. Cause you have no idea what this is about. You don't have any idea what's going on. And the reason I know that is I doubt that anybody besides me has, in a long time has said, can I see everything that we spent in the month? Because I've done it. You know, I remember asking them because this was when new technology was coming out. You can either dig, if you have a sewer line, you can either dig it up now, you know, and replace those things, which takes a long time. Or they have that technology where you basically blow latex through the tunnels. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> no, I haven't heard That's about the kind this. of technology. So instead of having to dig everything up, you basically blow a tunnel a new pipe into the old pipe. You don't have to dig anything up. Saves wow. a lot of money. Seriously. But then I saw one day, I was like, why are you guys digging that up? Occasionally I would see the new truck came in and this, I saw this new technology. I'm like, why would you do that when you can just blow basically a big old b balloon in there? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. So, and I want council to be looking at things like that. Like I just heard about this new technology. Are we using it? Yeah. You yeah. know, or if I was Denver, I just heard about a drone. Can we leave the helicopter alone for a while now? Because that's expensive. <laughs> you know, so things like that. Operations, efficiencies, and effectiveness. Um, number 12. No, number 12. Number yeah. 12. Last but not least, uh, the next election. So you got 2022 and 2023. Bedrooms are for people loss but lost narrowly in an odd year in and in an well i'm not the person to go for for the odd year thing i don't i don't necessarily want to see the same the elections the same year as the presidential election because i want people to pay attention i know the argument that more people will show but oh, i didn't i didn't i wasn't implying uh I do have opinions on that, but I wasn't applying an opinion on that. Well, I'm just telling no. you the fact that people, yeah. that's what the argument is. The, you know, we should have, we should have um, elections the same time as presidential elections. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Some cities have elections in like February or March. So it's nowhere near anything else. So you can kind of see what's going on. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that one either because people expect to be voted in November. Yeah, I just um, meant I just meant that the the close election for bedrooms are for people is is even more notable given that it was an odd year. That's all I was saying. That's all right. So so the next election, I hope to see them bring it back to the to the uh, to the uh, ballot. Um, I have a couple of ideas on some some ballot issues I'd like to see. Um, so that'll be one thing. And then twenty twenty three, what I would say is well, that was a that was a tease. Yeah. 
That's yeah. the whole point. So you can call me back. No question okay. about it. But uh, yeah, I'm going to give you everything right now. And then uh, 2023, there was a chance that the, the composition of this, um, this council can change. So I really want council to think about the fact that they have a two-year window to get some things done. Yeah. You know, in presidential terms, they think about the first hundred days, which is why I'm so uh, I came up with this list of things to be thinking about. As far as council goes, it's really one through nine district elections. They can uh, make the recommendation. Council operations is a longer thing, but it can be done. And if you look at how other councils are doing it, which I don't think we do enough. You know, I don't think that we really look at what others are doing best. I'm just getting back into it. I will look. I'll be looking at the minutes. I'll be looking at the study sessions. Uh, but council operations, again, that's one of those conversations that's going to happen at the retreat. How do we work together? You know, that's when they make their rules of decorum or whatever. Um, so that's what I got. That's great. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks for sharing all that. I, I, uh, I think it's a great list. I hope they look it over and take it seriously and uh, give it, give it lots of energy. Well, I'm working with others. I'm working with others to see what's on their list. I've been sharing my list with other groups that are doing theirs. I'm, I'm not that arrogant to think that, you know, this is what I say, do this. Yeah. Right. I'll be sharing, you know, I'll be talking to people at the university. I'll be talking to the typical groups that endorse people. I'll be talking to the business community, which is something that people around here don't do all that often. Yeah, God forbid, they're, they're the ones collecting the sales tax. We might want to say hello. Thank you for your yeah. check. How are you doing today? Yeah. How's your business? Yeah. Have you yeah. been able to find any employees? Oh, you haven't. Why? Because they can't afford to look here. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, we kind of we kind of blame business for bringing all these jobs to Boulder, which is, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, actions speak louder than words. I don't see anybody turning down the checks. Yeah, for sure. You know, like it, the, the way I put it, and I'll leave you at this. There's a, because one of the things I cannot stand is hypocrisy. Um, and, and again, I look at institutions, but environmental groups, if you believe that you want to help the environment, then you need to look at sustainability and just sustainability. You need to look at those 60,000 people coming in. Yeah. People who want to divest and they'll go to institutions and say, I want you to divest out of fossil fuels. I'll say, okay, what I want you to do is look at your pension fund and see that you probably own some fossil fuels. Tell them that you want them to go back to the year that you bought that pension fund and you want to sell it to them at cost. You don't want to make any money off of it because I wouldn't <laughs> want you to feel bad making money off of the evil. Better yet, sell it to me. You bought it at five dollars. It's at a hundred dollars. I will give you six dollars <laughs> because yeah. I wouldn't want you to have the guilt of making money off of the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. So that's my point, and and I'm glad you waited to the last. So so my point is this: is that really look at what people are doing. I saw something once where there were some people from Boulder and they were holding up a big sign. It was at the uh, at a climate conference in Europe, and I said, "How did you get there?" Did you take a sailboat? Because <laughs> yeah. Greta took a sailboat. <laughs> yeah, sort I got of. respect for Greta. Well, she, she kind of, it was a boat. <laughs> yeah. I know I, I there's mean, a I, lot I, less greenhouse gas on that thing than there was on a jet. 
<laughs> yeah, I heard the I heard the crew flew back home. <laughs> yeah, so that's so that's my point. But she took a boat. It costs a lot of money, but she took yeah. a boat. <laughs> yeah. So that that's what I'm saying. So don't talk about to me and and don't talk to me about hypocrisy when it comes to race. You know, if you want a kumbaya and everything like that, then that's going to take people living right next to you. Yeah. Okay. Because if the university wants to uh, recruit a diverse, brilliant group of people who have families and everything like that, it's going to be a hard sell to come into Boulder because they're going to like, I got my wife. She's a professor. I'm a professor. We're both expecting kids. How the heck are we supposed to afford to live in Boulder? Yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Awesome. Well, thanks, Tim, for uh, a great interview and uh, great conversation. I hope I hope you'll um, when City Council uh, fires up a meeting that you'll text me and and we'll start a thread and and uh, I, I would actually, you know, what I would really, I will tell you this, I would really like to do that. I have some ideas on that. This episode of Sharing Boulder was produced by David Adamson and Philip Ogren. Sound and video editing was done by Philip Ogren. The intro music was sampled from Osladum by Gilberto Gill and is available for use under the Creative Commons Sampling Plus license. Please visit us at sharingboulder.us for show notes and previous episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support us by sharing this episode with your friends and family. Keep sharing, Boulder!